Andua's grossest animals in the world. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a love for all things animal. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, volunteers, anyone who is as passionate about animals as I am. Join me on my Raw Safari. Hello, everybody. Welcome to yet another episode of your favorite digital zoo journey, Raw Safari. I'm excited to be back with you all. Before we get into this episode, I wanted to take a moment to thank you again for the incredible support this podcast has received. Over 1,100 downloads in the first month is a huge accomplishment, and I appreciate all of you that are sharing this podcast with friends and family. I also know that a large number of my listeners are members of the zookeeping community, and I want to tell you that means the world to me. I love you all, and the ability to share your stories has brought me such joy. Thank you for that. Okay, let's do some quick housekeeping. As always, make sure you're following along on Instagram and Facebook at Raw Safari. I post pictures daily and add stories every time an episode drops that are relevant to that particular episode. You can also go to www.rawsafari.com to learn more about the podcast and a little bit about me as well. Also, I have some merch available at rossafari.redbubble.com, and I have a Patreon set up if you want to support the podcast. There are a lot of cool perks for patrons, including bonus episodes, extra interview footage, and stickers. You can find that at patreon.com slash rossafari. I've decided I'm going to extend my ratings and reviews for conservation effort for a few more episodes. For every five-star rating you leave this podcast on Apple Podcasts, I will donate $2 to an animal conservation organization. If you're willing to write a positive review along with that five-star rating, I'll up it to $5. Also, everyone who does a positive written review and sends me proof to either rossafaripod at gmail.com or messages me proof on Instagram at rossafari will get to vote on what organization gets the money. If you don't use the Apple Podcast app, you can still leave a rating or review through iTunes. Also, before getting to this episode, I have to share some exciting news. I get to play the drums again soon, for real. Dutch Apple Dinner Theater in Lancaster, Pennsylvania is putting on a socially distanced and masked run of Million Dollar Quartet, the primary show I have been touring with for the last five years, and they have hired me to music direct and drum for it. I'm so excited to get back to my other passion, aside from animals, and to reunite with so many friends from all around the country to perform this show live again. The show runs from September 18th to November 7th, so if you happen to be in the area, check out DutchApple.com for tickets. This will be my first time playing acoustic drums since the first week of March, and I am so ready to be back. Speaking of being back, <laughs> I love bad transitions, I'm bringing you this episode from the Cincinnati Zoo, which I went back to for the first time since spending a bunch of time there last summer and falling madly in love with the animals and the staff. Cincinnati does an amazing job of making some of their animals into social media stars. Fiona the Hippo, Theo and Fen the Baby Giraffes, Chris and Remus, the adorable Cheetah and Puppy Duo, and Harriet, the trash can loving red panda, are but a few of the incredible animals that call Cincy home while racking up the likes on social media. In fact, the PR team at Cincy is one of the best in the business. 
This episode focuses on a few of the lesser-known animals at the zoo, however. I'm going to introduce you all to Colleen Adams, the lead keeper in the Ambassador Animal Center at the zoo, who is going to make you fall in love with some of her special friends, including Isla the Tamandua, Lucille the Bearcat, Zulu the Lady Ross's Taraco, Frankie the Bat-Eared Fox, and more. You're not only going to fall in love with these amazing animals, but also with Colleen's incredible heart and passion for her charges. Okay, here is my interview with Colleen Adams. Well, first off, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. This is a career goal of mine to get to be on a podcast, so um, this is really exciting right now. But my name is Colleen Adams, and I'm a zookeeper at the Cincinnati Zoo, and I work in the interpretive department meaning I work with ambassador animals. So the animals that you're going to find on shows, programs, um, they might go to news events, they might go to classrooms, those kinds of things. That's what I work with every day, about 200 of them. That sounds really amazing. 200? Yeah, roughly 200 animals in the interpretive department. Wow. My eyes got really big when you said that. I Um, saw them. (laughs) Yeah, that was was kind of impressive. Um, Okay, so uh, what led you to wanting to do interpretive work rather than more standard zookeeping? Yeah, that's a great question. I actually just recently wrote a blog post on it on the Cincinnati Zoo website. Um, Why I wanted to become an interpretive keeper or ambassador keeper specifically versus what I call an exhibit animal keeper is because of my love for education and my passion in sharing about my animals. I love the moments when I get to connect a guest with the animal and watch their eyes light up, kind of how yours just did when I said that I had 200 animals. Um, so when I was younger, I thought that I wanted to be a teacher because I really loved teaching. But I also thought I wanted to be a vet because I loved animals. And I flip-flopped back and forth. I didn't think being a zookeeper was an option because I genuinely thought they were mythical creatures that didn't really exist. <laughs> Only in Curious George, the man with the yellow hat. And um, went on a college visit, found out zookeepers do exist, and there are programs that help you become one. And I found out that ambassador keeping was a thing, and I just pursued it really heavily. Every internship I took, volunteer opportunity I took, I tried to gear them all towards ambassador keeping so I could build a really strong ambassador resume. That's really awesome. Uh, And what did you major in? I majored in zoo and wildlife biology, and I have a minor in psychology, which, fun fact, I think has actually paid off more in my career than my major has. So so? psychology has been super important because it was specifically the psychology of animals and how animals learn. So everything I do every day is based on what my animals are learning and how they're moving through their exhibits and how they're interacting with me and all those kinds of things. Everything is based on behavior. So when I was in my psychology major, I learned a lot about how to tell when an animal's learning and how to help the animals learn, how to set them up for learning. I learned a lot about training and all of that has paid off a lot more than being able to um, identify the different species of birds in Ohio. Okay. That's really, really cool. Um, Wow. I did not, I did not realize you could focus that much on like animal psychology in school. That's awesome. Um, I'm currently reading a book by Temple Grandin. Mm-hmm. Have you checked out Temple's stuff at all? With I, a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I find it to be incredibly fascinating, uh, how much we understand about how animals think and everything. Yeah. Which is actually very little. <laughs> yeah. But more than I would have guessed at the same time, if that yeah. makes sense, you know, and we're um, making strides every day. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Which is really cool. Awesome. So, um, 
I, I was I was insta stalking you, yeah. which is is how you know we do this. And um, I noticed that you you said that your mother plays a big role in your life and and as an influence. Uh, did she have anything to do directly with your uh, zoo interest? Or yeah, so shout out to my mom, Susan Lawrence. She's amazing. Um, she homeschooled all ten of us when we were growing up. I'm sorry, say that number again. Yeah, I thought that was going to stop you. <laughs> <laughs> ten so, might be a, a scarier number than your 200 yeah, ambassador. Yeah, so animals. I have nine brothers and sisters that share my last name, and then my mom also raised several children that um, didn't end up sharing my last name. So she's a superstar single mom, and she homeschooled us when we were younger. And part of science class very, very often was going to zoos, animal parks. Um, hiking, all sorts of things. And she found a way to build our curriculum for the day around that field trip. So sometimes it wasn't even just for science. So for the day, maybe we would go to the zoo and she would say, for your reading assignment, I want you to read 10 signs. For your writing assignment, choose one animal. When you get home, we're going to research it. For your history assignment, let's read the pamphlet on the zoo and where the zoo came from and learn a little bit about what the zoo does for the community. So she made it a really holistic approach to going to the zoo. She also had a rule we weren't allowed to squish any bugs. So fair, we fair. learned to appreciate um, every single creature out there. Um, we had to rescue everything. If you woke up with a spider on your face, you had to take it out during the middle of the night. Um, so she played a huge role. She was always bringing home rescue animals. One time it was a kitten with ringworm that we all caught in my house for a year. <laughs> oh, so no. 10 children with ringworm because mom rescued a six-week-old kitten with no fur. So it was that kind of stuff all the time. So she just like really instilled in me the love for animals. And I think she saw that I had it too. And so she just cultivated it and encouraged it. And never once did she say anything about, you know, you'll never make a career with animals or any of those kinds of things that I know a lot of my other zoo friends have struggled with and other people in my life found it appropriate to say to me, but my mom never did. So. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, I, I also, uh, as I was saying, I, I, you know, I'm a musician and I work in theater and, um, yeah, it's another career path where people just love to tell you that you can't succeed. Yep. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, that's really sweet. I love that you, uh, you got that from your mom. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, it's pretty special. Yeah. That's awesome. Good for you. Um, okay. So, um, where did you go to school? I went to school at Malone University, which is up in Canton, Ohio, which means nothing to most people probably listening to this. Uh, Pro, pro Football Hall of Fame. Yes, that's yeah, what I was going to say. Gonna say. <laughs> if you've heard of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, that's where we played football games. Which, to be fair, you're right. Most people listening to this probably. I, ha I have found that there's not a lot of overlap between my, my love of theater, love of football, and love of zoos. Yeah. It's three very <laughs> different worlds. But um, but yeah, okay. So that's cool. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, and uh and then after that, did you just start right at Cincinnati or how did you do No. That? So actually, my career path started probably while I was in college with internships. Detroit Zoo was one of my internships. And I had an internship at Stump Hill Animal Farm, which is in Maslin, Ohio, with, working with exotic animals. And then I had an internship at um, the Stark County Parks. They have... Um, wildlife rehab. And I learned a lot about raising baby animals. And that really helped me figure out what I for sure wanted to do. Because I was, like I said earlier, I was really heavy into the ambassador side of things, but I wanted to make sure I explored my options. And baby animals are just the most wonderful things in the whole world. So I wanted to spend some time with them. 
But I decided it was ambassador keeping for me. So as soon as I graduated, I headed down to Columbus and I worked in the Animal Encounters Village. So shout out to everyone there. And I got um, my first real, what I would say was my first real um, ambassador keeping job there. So I worked there for a year and then I worked at um, a farm that rescues mostly farm animals, but also exotic animals, Forever Safe Farm. It's one of the most magical places on earth. If you ever have a chance to go, it's in Salem, Ohio. And then while I was there, I got offered a job here. So I've kind of been all over the place, all over the state of Ohio and a little bit into Michigan. That's so cool. Um, Quick question. Yes. You you won't be able to answer it, but I have to ask. Okay. Why? 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 Why is Ohio the place with the best zoos and best animals? Because it's Ohio. I mean, <laughs> I just, I genuinely really love my state. And I think Fair. that, I think that we've got a lot to offer. And I don't know, it's a really, it's a really cool place. So. I just, I can't wrap my head around the fact that Cincy is incredible. Yep. Columbus is incredible. Yep. Um, Akron for a small zoo is amazing. Oh, I and forgot the Akron. Is, oh yeah, you said you were at Akron. I worked That's there right. for a year. That's right. You but did continue, say that. continue. Yes, but Akron is, is incredible. Cleveland. Is incredible. Um, Toledo. I, Toledo. Thank you. Toledo was the first zoo that I ever went to that had red pandas and a sea turtle, which are my two favorite species. And I did not know what to do with myself. Oh my goodness! I was, I was losing my mind. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I walked in the aquarium there, and they had the, their little sea turtle, and I had just seen their red pandas, and I was like, "What? You get, uh. you were on overload that day? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brain just kind of." Yeah, kind of gave out on me a little bit for a second. Um, and it was, I had a show that night. So I was literally doing a jog through of the zoo because that was all the time I had. But I still managed to get those oh. two experiences. And like, yeah, I was I was in a daze the whole night. So yeah, just all these amazing zoos in one, you know, not that big of a state. No. I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. Um, okay, so anyway, um, that all sounds amazing. And it's cool that you were able to stay, you know, local-ish. Yeah. Which is, is pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah, that's been really great. And it's not something that all zookeepers um, no. get to do. Yeah, so. we talk about that a lot with with other people I've talked to on here. It's like, yeah, no, I was I was in Columbus and then Texas and then Florida mm-hmm. and then, you know. Yeah, it's it's pretty intense. So uh, good for you for, for making that a thing. And, and also you. for being able to stick with um, the ambassador stuff that you want to. Yeah, do. I'm actually, I'm very blessed that I didn't have to really move too, too far away from my family. And I didn't even have to deviate from what I was hoping to do for a long-term career career. Yeah, that's so awesome. Cool, cool, cool. All right. So we met through a mutual friend, Andrew King, and uh, he, he is awesome and is he a great is. lover of, of zoos and zoo people. And, and Tamanduas. Well, I was just going to say, and I understand <laughs> that the the two of you uh, share a love. I'm, I'm setting this all up all podcastly, but what my listeners can't tell is that um, there is a an anteater handbag over there, and there is a Tamandua face mask that, that uh, yeah, you were wearing. So um, I'm trying to be all coy about this, but, but tell me about your favorite animal. Yeah, so my favorite animal is the Tamandua. You probably saw my eyes light up when I got to see. <laughs> that. Um, I fell in love with Tamanduas when I was at the Columbus Zoo. We had one. Um, his name was Trestle. And he was the first Tamandua I ever met. And honestly, even being a zookeeper, I don't think I knew they existed before I met Trestle because they have only recently started to get popular in zoos and ambassador collections and whatnot. So um, a Tamandua, for those of you listening that aren't sure, is a lesser anteater. Not lesser because they're any less awesome, <laughs> lesser because they're just smaller in size than your giant anteater. So don't think the black and gray anteaters that are five to six feet long. Think of more of a little guy that climbs around in a tree. And they are um, arboreal. 
And they have prehensile tails that help them climb around up in the trees. And since then, I have worked with a total of six tamanduas. So um, I am a crazy tamandua lady, and I am super proud of it. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so tell me about your uh, tamanduas here now. Yeah, the ones that I have here now, their names are Isla and Salvador. And Isla is our female. She's probably one of my best friends in the whole world is how I usually describe her. <laughs> and fair, then fair. Salvador is her boyfriend. And he is such a charming animal. And I don't even say that lightly. We put them together for breeding um, two years ago, and they have had two babies since then. And when we put them together, he would just very calmly and quietly follow her around until she was ready. And then she would go into her downward dog position and they would do what they needed to do. But if she ever wasn't into it, he would just, I imagine him like throwing his hands up like, oh, well, shoulder shrug. <laughs> and he would just continue to follow her calmly. He never forced himself on her or anything. And he's super needy. He always just wants to be by us. So he's a really great animal to walk through the zoo because he just wants to follow my footsteps. And his other keeper, Marky, he's obsessed with her too. And he wants to follow her footsteps as well. So those are my two that I have here. That is adorable. And you said that they've been successful in breeding twice? Yes. Tell, so, me, tell me about that whole thing. Yeah. So our first baby, Manny, came to us in 2018, I believe. It was right around Christmas. And that what I, I could confidently say was the highlight of my career thus far was um, – the whole process of putting them together and ultrasounding Isla and watching Manny grow from a teeny tiny peanut um, up into a full-grown tamandua who's now at the Charles Paddock Zoo. If you go follow their Instagram, you can see Manny's pictures and videos on there. But I played a huge role in um, his upbringing. So we did what you call co-rearing with Isla. And that just meant that I got to spend a lot of time with Manny and Isla while Manny was little. So he grew up knowing me from the very, very beginning and the other keepers that work with him as well, of course. So that was a really awesome experience. And he stayed with us till he was about eight months old. And then we had to ship him off and we sent him out to California to be out there so that we could make room for Isla and Salvador to have um, another baby. And they did. Back in February, they had baby Jess. Unfortunately, baby Jess didn't make it past a week, but she still left a super big um, mark on me, and she was still very important to me. So um, stay tuned and follow the Cincinnati Zoo, you know, social media for the next baby for whenever that comes around. Hopefully we put them together pretty soon. Awesome. So do they alternate who's on exhibit, or is one on exhibit the full time, or...? Yeah, so it's kind of been back and forth for a while. We had both on exhibit, but then if anyone listening knows of Rico the Porcupine, there was such a demand for Rico to be seen that we actually moved Salvador off exhibit and put Rico in, and we are just now getting ready to switch Isla and Rico. So Isla will go to the back of the building. You'll be able to still see her through a through a window, through a window, but Rico is probably going to take the front enclosure just for a little while and, and switch things up. So it's kind of been back and forth, but if you ever are around the zoo and you want to see a tamandua, just ask. People usually know where they are. Very cool. And um, yeah, take a minute to describe uh, this incredible building that I just, I love so much. It's um, my favorite thing at the Cincinnati Zoo is there's a little pathway that goes from the red pandas and you kind of loop around and you get to this building of perpetual joy um, where you just have uh, your ambassador collection animals being featured and um, 
And describe that building and, and who all people can see there. Yeah, so that's the Animal Ambassador Center, or the AAC, and I'm the primary keeper of that building, so I work in there pretty much five days a week, and I also agree that it's probably the best building in the zoo because we have our Tamandua Isla, we have our bat-eared foxes, Frankie and Otis, which we'll have to talk a little bit about Frankie later. Um, she's pretty incredible. And then we have some armadillos in the window. So we have a rotating window exhibit. If we ever have any baby animals, um, we try really hard to set them up in the window so that guests can see. And then guests can see even how we're caring for them. Because we're on exhibit the whole time we're working in that building. People can look in and see how the life of a zookeeper looks for a day. And um, it's really exciting to watch us interact with mom and baby and they can see that consent from mom and it gives a really good picture. And then next over, we have Lucille the baby bear cat. And I, I love Lucille. I understand that you're obsessed with Lucille. I am too. Um, Lucille She's our baby bear cat, or Binturong is what they're officially known as. And she came to us to be an ambassador for the UC Bearcats, or the University of Cincinnati Bearcats, and has done an amazing job thus far. COVID kind of threw a wrench in everything with her training, but we did make it through a whole basketball season, taking her to games and going out on center court and everything. That's awesome. And I was going to ask about that later, but since we got here, tell me now, what is that like? What is it like to be an ambassador animal or to be a keeper um, and to go to a basketball game? And how do you train a, a binturong to be ready for an audience and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, super big question. So <laughs> what it is, I can't speak to what it's like to be an ambassador animal since <laughs> I'm just the keeper side, but um I imagine it's a little bit like being a parent. You're super, super proud. You would think that maybe being out on their court would make you feel like a celebrity, but I know nobody's looking at me. They're all looking at the little baby bear cat that's on my shoulders, and I just get so filled with pride thinking about how far she has come and how confident she is and that I helped her get there. So it's mostly just pride that I feel when I do those kinds of events with any of my animals. Um... And so for Lucille, how we got her there is, well, she came to us at five weeks old, so we needed to start developing a bond with her very, very early. So I spent the first couple nights with her here at the zoo. That's amazing. Yes, it was the greatest. <laughs> and um, she fell asleep on my chest the Aww. first night, and I said I was never moving. <laughs> and then we just spent really long days with her. I mean, we were here from like 6 a.m. to midnight for several months because we were doing multiple bottle feeds and um, every single step in that baby bear cat's life we were a part of. The first time she climbed on perching, we were there celebrating. Um, her learning to use a litter box, we were there celebrating. All of those kinds of monumental things. So once she was cleared and had her vaccinations that she needed to be able to leave that building – we started taking her to novel spaces like classrooms and, and whatnot. We started taking her on car rides to get her used to the movement. We started putting her in the crate for prolonged periods of time, which wasn't a problem because she had historically slept in her crate anyway, so she was comfortable in there. And then it was time to go to UC. We eventually just had to do it. So we went to UC and we first just took her and practiced having her ride around on our shoulders just in the hallways, um, near the bathroom, those kinds of things. And um, she progressed extremely quickly to where we were able to do a lot of our practices just right out on the court. And we often would have the cheerleaders join us and make a lot of noise and a lot of movement. Bearcats don't have very good vision at all, but they have decent hearing. 
So we needed them to be really loud and move really quickly to catch her off guard to know that she was going to be able to stay calm in those kinds of situations when there are thousands of people screaming. Right. So then it was taking her to a band practice because that's about the loudest that we could get um, and with the most ruckus that we could get. So we asked them to play us the most random assortment of songs and sounds, and then we asked them to make just a total cacophony of noise. (laughs) And it was painful, and Lucille didn't do anything except munch on a banana. So that was fantastic, and we were able to take her to several games after that. Um, We would uncrate her just before it was time to walk out. She would wait on our shoulders. They would play a video or announce her. She might be on the Jumbotron, and we would walk out and wave at the crowd. We all did a, you know, cheesy princess wave and (laughs) um, smiled real big until they cued us off, and then we would make our way off, and the game would continue. And then we usually would do a pretty big happy dance behind (laughs) behind the scenes because we were all so excited and so proud. Oh, that's awesome. That is that's amazing. Very cool. Very cool. Um, yes. And like I, uh, I mentioned before, um, for those who have listened to all of the episodes, if you've listened to the, uh, Melinda Kamavangza episode, you'll remember her and I discussing me seeing some bottle feeding of Binturong kits. And one of those was Lucille. And I was able to get some pictures of baby, baby Lucille bottle feeding, which I sent to Colleen and she sent back some other adorable pictures. <laughs> and, um, Doing this is a lot of fun, and Colleen, as you can tell, is just uh, just an awesome, passionate person when it comes to her animals, which is just so cool. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. So, um, all right. Well, uh, let's move on to bat-eared foxes. Okay. And even before you said we need to do them, they're one of my favorite species. Oh, good. And I have gotten amazing photos of them at the Ambassador building here. Um, You'll have to share. Yes, yes, I shall. And I remember one time, and it's so funny. I, I'm going to look. I don't normally get pictures of faces of humans because, like you said, you're not what we're looking at. Right. <laughs> but um, they were running around in the building, like off – like in the back area where where you can still see in and see you guys. And I was running around and following them and just so happy and so goofy. And at one point I looked up and I think there were two or three of you in there. I'm not sure if you were there. This was, you know, well before we had met. And all just like laughing at me. Not meanly, but like you could tell that it was I was literally running after them and following them. And I suddenly looked up and there are three girls kind of chuckling at me. It was, was probably like, me. Probably. And I was like, <laughs> I just kind of did an awkward wave and then went right back to the foxes because, yeah, they are they are amazing. So for those that don't know, uh, tell tell the listeners what bat-eared foxes are and then, then tell us about yours. Yeah, so bat-eared foxes are a fox species, if that wasn't obvious. I mean, flying foxes are bats, okay. so you never know. Touche, I stand corrected. <laughs> don't edit that out. <laughs> I stand corrected. Okay, so bat-eared foxes are a fox species, not a bat species, and they are from Africa. So they live, they have a pretty good range all over Africa, and they live in the savannas of Africa where they can camouflage with their nice dusty coat color. And they're super fluffy and furry, so they look a lot bigger than they actually are if you were to pet one or scratch one which I do often. Um, Jealous. You've got to get really deep through the fur to actually be able to scratch their skin. Wow, I did not know that. That's really cool. Yes, they're very, very fluffy. And their tails are fluffy as well. But the cool thing about bat-eared foxes is they have um, an abnormally, like, insane amount of teeth in their mouth. So um, you you can cut this out if I'm wrong, but I believe they've got more teeth in their mouth than most mammal species. Wow. Yep. So they are able to 
um, chew up the really small bugs that they find because they are um, omnivores, but they are really wide range omnivores. So they're going to eat insects to small rodents, but they also eat fruits, veggies, roots, whatever. They they're kind of scavengers in that way that they're just going to eat what they find. But they'll eat things as small as termites, one of their favorite foods. Well, to be able to grind up something so small, you're going to need a lot of teeth in your mouth. And then also to be able to rip apart prey, you need a lot of teeth in your mouth that are nice and sharp. So that's just the mouth that God gave them, and it's it works really well for them. So here at the zoo, we've got Frankie and Otis. Frankie and Otis are a boyfriend-girlfriend couple. So Frankie just recently, sadly, went through a pseudo-pregnancy, oh. um, which you guys can look that up on your own to figure out what all that is. It's pretty complicated. Hey, everyone. I wanted to duck back in here for a second to save you the Google search. A pseudo-pregnancy, or false pregnancy, is something that can happen in mammalian species in which all the signs and symptoms of a pregnancy are exhibited, but there is no fetus. In many cases, the animal will believe it is pregnant and even start changing their daily actions as they would if they were pregnant, including building nests and changing their eating habits. As the body goes through the physical changes associated with pregnancy, health issues can develop, such as uterine disorders, lactation, which can lead to mastitis, alopecia, and behavioral changes, including aggression and depression. Okay, back to the interview. She went through a pseudo-pregnancy, so we were ready for them to have kits, and then she didn't. She came right out of that. Um, And she did so healthily, which is good, because sometimes it can cause complications. But Frankie is about eight years old. And Otis is five years old. He's just a little bit younger. And Otis came to us from the Brookfield Zoo, where Frankie was born here at the Cincinnati Zoo. And the two of them are, they're companion animals, but we also are hoping that we'll get kits someday. But if we don't ever get kits, that's okay. Um, They just live really well together and they keep each other company. Otis is strictly an exhibit animal. And Frankie is an ambassador animal. So Frankie can go to... She went to prom once. I took Frankie <laughs> to prom, and there's flashing lights and noise and everything, and she was a rock star. She knows around 26 behaviors. Wow. She's very intelligent, easily the smartest animal I've ever um, had the privilege to train. And um, she does all of her ambassador work, and then Otis just stays on the exhibit. And the way that you can tell the two apart is actually pretty simple. If you come to Cincy and you're at the AAC and you're looking at the foxes, Otis's tail is like half the length of Frankie's. I don't know why it's so short. He came to us that way. I guess he was born that way, but he doesn't have a long bushy fox tail that you would think of when you think foxes. Frankie's is gorgeous, and then Otis's is kind of just a little nub that's not very <laughs> hairy. So if you ever want to tell them apart, also his ears are even bigger than Frankie's, and they have some of the biggest ears per face ratio of any of the foxes. Yeah, they do, and they are adorable. The cutest. Foxtails are so interesting to me. Um, I have I set up a, a wildlife camera outside of my house sometimes, and there are three foxes that regularly come by. And one of them, um, who has been around the longest, uh, Zoe and I call Fox Friend. And like normal foxtail, cute, cool, like, you know, it's a fox, it's a red fox, and it has a foxtail. One of them we call Fluffy, and because the tail is like, just like... An extra fox worth of hair. It's so luxurious and oh it's my so goodness. gorgeous. And then one of them we call Janky Tail. Oh! Because <laughs> I don't know if there are mites or what happened, but um, it is a gorgeous, healthy fox with a 
sliver pencil thin tail that just and seems healthy seems fine you know it's pete on my camera but um yeah just uh and so yeah those are the three foxes our, our fox friend fluffy and janky tail and their faces are so similar that unless you see more than one together so where you can tell the size difference the only way to tell the difference is you see the, the tail but man they are different so that's awesome yeah cool so you do um a lot of training Yes. And one of the things that I think I have found interesting is I would have always guessed before starting this podcast that training or trainers and keeping or keepers are two very different things. But the lines seem to blur a lot, and especially with ambassador animals. Um, so tell me maybe some of your favorite uh, training stories. Yeah. So some of my favorite training stories is actually one that I'm working on right now, um, training Frankie the Fox for voluntary injections. And I know that a lot of zoos and a lot of keepers do voluntary injections with their animals. Um, so I really wanted to make sure that I was giving Frankie um, all of the honest signals about what was about to happen to her and that she was consenting on her own to take part in her own health care. Which is pretty cool from a welfare standpoint. The difference with Frankie versus maybe, say, an exhibit animal or a hyena or, you know, something like that is that because she's an ambassador animal, we allow her to run around the building with us like you mentioned you saw her doing. So I have a chute that she goes into, but it's open on both ends. And when she leaves that chute, she's back out with me. So if she gets upset or frustrated, I have an upset or frustrated fox <laughs> coming out to be with me. Sure. And we just talked about how many teeth they have. So it's been its own set of challenges, and it's been really interesting, and I've had a lot to think about, about how to get that done. And um, we're working right now with one of the vet techs to get Frankie used to her, because Frankie does know people really well. She's unbelievably smart, so she keeps track of people and what their interactions with her have been. Because a relationship with an animal is merely a set of interactions, whether they be positive or negative, and that's how the animal is going to, to know you, as a positive or as a negative. And the vet techs, unfortunately, have taken part in a lot of things that, you know, Frankie hasn't loved, like having to catch her up for exams and all the necessary things. So we're crossing that bridge right now and working on that hurdle of the vet tech just coming up and giving Frankie treats and being a positive for Frankie. And it's going extremely well. Um, she was able to get her distemper shot just last week voluntarily. So she went in her chute. I told her to hold still. She freezes. And when she's done, she gets a nice, juicy Madagascar hissing cockroach, her favorite, favorite treat in the whole world. Nice. Yeah. And then probably my... One of my second my second favorite would be the Lucille story. But since I already told you that, I'll tell you about um, another one that we haven't talked about yet, who is Zulu, my Lady Ross's Taraco. That's a mouthful. A Lady Ross's Taraco is a bird, a very, very beautiful blue, red, and yellow bird from Africa. There are Taracos in Europe and Africa. There are tons of species of Taracos. But Zulu, being a Lady Ross's Taraco, is the only one that looks like her. She is known for the giant red crest on her head that goes up and down based on how she's feeling. So I can usually tell if she's lovey, it's laying back. If she's on alert, it's sticking up. And she's got bright red feathers under her wings. Now, Zulu, I came here when she was 30 days old. Wow. 
So she was one of the first animals that I really bonded with because it meant feeding her multiple times a day when I first got here. And I was there when Zulu took her first flight. It was to my hand, I Uh think. (laughs) I can't say for certain, but I think it was. And um, we worked our way up to be able to fly her outside free-flighted in a bamboo forest. Which is terrifying. I'm not going to lie. Learning to free flight your first bird outside can be pretty scary. You have to make sure you have a really strong recall. So we trained Zulu to fly to a pink circle of duct tape. And we would put this pink circle of duct tape sometimes on a bracelet on a guest's hand. So she'll fly there. Sometimes we would put it on a what we call a tea perch that we could hold. And sometimes we would put it just even on the ground. And she'll go fly down to it and stay there and wait. So if Zulu ever flies off into a tree, we will put that pink circle on the tea perch and hold it up in the air where she can see it. Then we blow a whistle to get her attention so she knows which direction to look. She cues in on that pink circle and comes zipping down out of the top of the trees where she receives a nice juicy raspberry. Mm -hmm. It's the only time she gets raspberries because we wanted to keep it really novel and really highly um, valued so that she would always want to come down for it. So those have been probably the some of the highlights of my training career. I have a question for yes. you. I think we might know each other um, before all of this. So um, with Zulu, last year, were you involved with um, training her under the bamboo canopy to run across people's arms? Yes. <laughs> okay. So last year, I was at the zoo. Yeah. And that bamboo canopy area was closed down so that you guys could do that. Um, like they had people stationed on each side, you know, rerouting people. And the person who rerouted me, uh, I was like, hi, I'm a huge nerd. Can I just stand here and watch? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, cool. Can I take some pictures? And she was like, yeah, that's fine. And so I started taking some pictures of, of the training and I was super into it. And I'm just, I'm obsessed with that kind of stuff, you know? And, um, I started talking to the person who, who, who told me who Zulu was and what kind of bird she was and everything. And around that time, one of the people involved in the training came over and were like, we're going to do a human ladder. Would you help? Not to me, but to the person who was blocking people. Uh, would you help um, do this so she can run across more arms? And she was like, sure. And, the, and then looked at me and was like, who, who's this guy? And she was like, oh, he's just like, you know, he kind of explained it quickly. She's like, you want to help? And I was like, I, I do want to help. And so I got to go into the little closed off area and stick my arms out and have Zulu run across my arms um, and, and everyone else's. But, and there's a but here, she ran, hit my first arm, jumped onto my second arm and froze and came up to my shirt because I had some, I just finished a soft pretzel. And I had some pretzel crumbs. And I think that was what interested her because she went right to them. And then it was a quick, um, the recall, you know, thing happened and got her attention back and she took off running. But she did come like right up to me and stop. And I was like, I'm, I'm sorry, I should have brushed off my <laughs> shirt first. But so I have, I've gotten to be a little part of, of that with Zulu and, and spend some time doing that. And um, at the time, I was the only guest involved. It was all just staff. And it was magical. 
Well, that's insane because she's probably only done that a handful of times <laughs> ever. Because <laughs> we've only we only did that for one summer, which was last summer, and yep. then obviously this summer we weren't able to do anything. And we usually did just use volunteers and interns and whatnot. We didn't often pull guests in, so the chances that it was you is just pretty crazy. That's amazing. But that's you know we were talking before uh, we started recording, and I said that to me, um, Elmwood Park Zoo is like my home zoo because a it's at home, and b they just they take really good care of me. But I, I like to call Cincy my home away from home zoo because I spent two months uh, in Louisville playing a show at Derby Dinner Theater. And um, even though Louisville has a great zoo, uh, and I went there a couple of times, I became a member here, and I would drive up every chance I got. I think in in maybe eight weeks, I was up 10 to 12 times. Wow. Um, but because things kept happening, mm-hmm. I got to meet Lynn the Red Panda. I got to see Audra and Lenore. I got to have that experience with Zulu. And just talking to keepers, um, you know, and volunteers here, and and – Everyone was so sweet and and has remained that way every time I'm here. I just recently met uh, Paul Reinhardt, who I've talked to on Instagram multiple times, the Red Panda Keeper. And he's amazing. He's the nicest guy. And Andy, who takes care of Chris and Remus, um, literally, like, I I probably annoyed the poop out of her trying to see them when, when Chris was a cub. But she worked with me and I got to pet Remus and I got to actually see Chris, like, on exhibit when he was, you know, when she was really young. And, like... There are just zoos where people don't get it and zoos where people get it. And at this zoo, people get it. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a great place to work. Um, one of the things that we really like try to focus everything on is getting guests close enough to care. And I think that all of the keepers, not just the ambassador keepers, but everybody does a really good job um, keeping that in the forefront of their minds. It's kind of how we structure the zoo. It's the filter w- in which we plan things through and in, in which we look at everything through. And um, so I'm not actually surprised to hear you say that I'm proud um, of my zoo and proud to hear you say that because that is what we strive for. That's awesome. And it's also so cool knowing that the Zulu thing was as magical as it felt like that. It's not just like, you know, some places it's like you have a magical experience and then you go the next day and someone else is having it. But no, I, I thought that was a kind it of It was pretty thing. magical. And no, you're right. Cool. And odds are, I, I'm guessing you and I probably were both a part of that, um, which is most likely just amazing. And here we are a year later. Yeah, this is this is fun. That's so cool. The zoo world's a small world. Smallest world. I love it. Um, very cool. So what happens when an ambassador animal retires? Yeah, so we say that we're committed to our animals through attrition. Um, so we're committed to them for their entire lives. And sometimes the animal, just because they're retired, doesn't mean that they're they're sick or they're too old to do anything. Sometimes it just means that they have run the course with guests and that they're tired, right? They're just, they're done being in front of screaming people. They're done being touched. They're done with those kinds of things. Like Lucy the Bearcat, if any of you know of Lucy the Bearcat. I love Lucy. Who Lucille took over for. Lucy is still healthy and wonderful, and I take care of her all the time. But she just decided that she was done Um, doing what she had been doing for so many years. So she lives behind the scenes now, and we give her the same exact care that we give everybody else. We still train her. It's still super important that she gets that stimulation. The mental stimulation is just so good for our animals. And we train her even to do some different exercises as she starts to get older to make sure she's moving and stretching the way she needs to be. And sometimes our animals, when they retire, are sent away to other zoos to be on exhibit 
or are put on an exhibit here because they're still amazing to look at and they still hold so much educational value. So our animals, we give them a job until they're ready to leave us. And whether that job be an exhibit here, an exhibit elsewhere, becoming a breeding animal, that happens sometimes. An animal decides they're not a good fit for an ambassador program or they're done or they reach sexual maturity and everything changes because doesn't it for everyone. Yes. <laughs> and then um, they go off to be a breeder. We've got a um, Zulu sister, Rue, a Lady Rasses Taraco. Um, she was super into breeding. She was showing us a lot of breeding behaviors, and we sent her out to California to make babies out there. So she is doing that right now rather than being an ambassador animal. So it's on a case-by-case basis, but we are super committed to finding the best fit for each animal for their whole life. That's awesome. I love that. Um, You've kind of already answered this question. I almost didn't ask it, but I want to give you the chance in case there's anything that you haven't said, or maybe to put it more succinctly. Um, But what do you think the impact of ambassador animals is? Yeah, the impact of an ambassador animal, um, I know that I'm a little bit biased, but I chose this role for a reason, I think is just a very unique one in that it takes that close enough to care mantra that I said a little bit ago to the next level. Because as you said, having Zulu stop and interact with you, you are the only one in Zulu's world in that moment. When someone is learning about a snake and they're so scared of snakes, but I'm able to coach them through it and talk them through it and they finally reach out and they touch the snake and they tell me, oh, that's not slimy or that wasn't scary – They're the only one in that snake's world, and the snake's the only thing in their world in that moment. And being able to watch that next-level connection is so valuable in inspiring people to um, conservation actions and inspiring people to fall in love with animals. I know you mentioned you you love red pandas more than anything, and I can probably confidently say the times you've gotten to meet the red pandas – have probably tripled the love that you oh, already have. Earth-shattering. Earth-shattering. There is something yeah. different about looking at an animal through the glass while that has so much educational impact that is going to be different than being able to touch, interact with, feed, fly, catch, hold an animal um, where you become their world. That is such a great way to put it. When you said that Zulu, like I became Zulu's world for that moment, I got tears in my eyes and I'm not kidding. And I'm not like, I'm not a big emotional crier guy. I'm I definitely am an emotional guy when it comes to animals, but I literally like it just welled up and I was just like, oh my gosh. Okay. So, um, wow. Thank you. Not just for that info, but for that, you, you just made that moment even more special. That was already so special. Okay. And that's, that's so cool. Um, that's why I became an ambassador keeper. You are very good at what you do. I feel like I could do, uh, I could do, you know. Uh, many, many episodes with you. Well, this thank is you. amazing. Um, so, wow, you really threw me with that. That's really funny. Um, in the best way, though. Um, yeah, it's funny you were talking about the the snake thing, mm-hmm. and I've mentioned this on another episode. But um, I'm an arachnophobe, and I've been working on it for about two years now, mm-hmm. to the point where I have gone from if there was a spider in in my house, I would either kill it. Or have to have, like, my girlfriend Zoe, like, yo, yo, they're spider, go. Um, to now, then getting to the point where I could get them on paper or something. And I would literally shake the whole time I, I took them outside. To the point where now I will barehand them and, like, gently get them on my hand and take them outside. Um, and my eventual goal is I want to have a tarantula on my hand. Um and and do what I think on a podcast episode, not not just because I think it would be good for other people to hear that experience. 
But well, let me on. talk to the insect keepers here. Oh, They're goodness. incredible, and they have the best tour ever, and they will amazing. That would be that her. would be amazing because yeah, that is that is a goal, and I'm still like I get goosebumps when I say that. But literally two years ago. I got goosebumps from the smallest spider sharing a room with me. And and I know how important they are. And I understand logically that it is silly and, and I'm going to say stupid uh, to be an arachnophobe. But um, yeah, so that is that is one of my goals for, for this podcast well, and for personal you. growth. So yeah. Um, and I know that it's like you said, as soon as I actually hang out with one, even if I still get that involuntary reaction of fear, I know I'm going to fall in love because that's what animals do because animals are incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any other uh, stories or species that you would like to to share? Well, I actually have a tarantula story that's Ooh. super early in my career, really embarrassing and really funny. Amazing. You want to hear that All one? All of that, yes. Okay, so when I was in college, we had a serpentarium at college, so I was able to be a zookeeper while I was in school. Amazing. Paid zookeeping experience right out with graduation, which is super invaluable. And I was caring for 22 ball pythons, three tanks of crickets, and a tarantula. Now, I'm going to tell this story in in this order for a specific reason. I was caring for Rose, the tarantula, who I loved. She was a sweetie. I do really love spiders. She was a sweetie, and she would um, come out for programs, and I would hold her, and, and it was wonderful. One day, I went to clean Rose, and we had just gotten a new tarantula that I didn't know yet. It was in a tank across the room. And I looked in Rose's enclosure, and there were two tarantulas in there. And (laughs) Rose was on her back, shriveled. Oh, no. And this new, beautiful brown tarantula that I didn't know yet was there. And I was so upset. I went and I told my boss, Dr. Chris Carmichael, um, who's been my career mentor my whole life, went and told him, and he... Barely could keep a straight face. He covered his mouth, and he's laughing, real, like, really laughing. Tears start running down his face, and I'm getting mortified. I had already called my mom in the bathroom, crying. (laughs) She's crying because she loved Rose, because my mom and spiders. We already talked about that. Finally, Dr. Carmichael goes, "Um, Colleen, has no one ever told you that tarantulas molt their entire exoskeleton, like, every... (laughs) Six months to a year. Now, I want to say that I felt relief, but I didn't. I was so upset I just started crying harder because the man that I needed to impress who gave me all of my grades and wrote my recommendation letters just had to tell me that it was a molt in the enclosure. And so that was really embarrassing. But that's amazing. And actually, I did I did not know that tarantulas molt. They do. Um, I know a lot about animals for a non-pro. So um, maybe we'll have you hold a molt first. Yeah, that's actually not a bad idea. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's really that's amazing. Wow. Thanks for uh, for putting yourself out there. Like you got that, it. Now, now all the people who listen will will know that. <laughs> Please laugh at me. Please laugh at me as hard as Dr. Carmichael did. <laughs> that's so awesome. Um. One question before we get to the infamous Rasafari poop story. Yes. Which we're going to move away from animals a little bit okay. to uh, zookeepers. Okay. What is one thing you often find true about zookeepers that you think the general public wouldn't suspect? That we're okay barehanding poop. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> genuinely, um, 
sometimes the time it takes to get a rake or a dustpan is just not worth it. Lucille Bearcat has started pooping on her tallest platform in her house. So by the time I got the ladder in there and I was standing on the top of the ladder and I realized that I had nothing to pick it up with, I just poked it through the holes in the platform with my finger, which is disgusting. And sorry to my husband who's probably cringing right now because I came home to him after that. Um, But hands are washable. They're Mm -hmm. like a wrapper for our body and we just clean them right off. So um, my head keeper, Aaron, and I, when we go clean the wallabies who poop a thousand times a day, we just pick it up and toss it into a bag and go in and wash our hands twice. (laughs) I'm so glad I asked that question. Yeah. And what a great segue into the poop story. Yes, except I'm going to tell a pee story. That's great. Like I said, for those who are our new listeners, um, I try to end every interview with what I call a poop story, but it's just a a story that is a little gross and disgusting, but also shows just how much keepers actually love their animals. And um, you have obviously done that for this entire interview and already just gave us a bonus poop story. That is poop. But uh, tell me your pee story. Yeah. <laughs> what an awkward thing if you took that out of context. My peace story. Okay, so speaking of gross and disgusting, probably the grossest and disgusting, most disgusting animal happens to be my favorite animal. Tamanda was our fowl. We didn't talk about that. They smell like skunks smoking weed who pooped themselves. <laughs> I actually know some bass players who are like that, too. So, okay, well, bass players and tamanduas, <laughs> grossest animals in the world. And... um. To make matters even worse, they like to pee in their beds, pee on their blankets, pee all over everything. And the males, for some reason, like to pee outside of their enclosure. So they will climb up climb up on the caging, position themselves perfectly through the mesh, if you're catching my drift, mm-hmm. and let a little water fall out. <laughs> well, my coworker Marky had her husband's shoe peed on, whatnot. I was giving Salvador his morning greeting because he is just the most charming, wonderful thing. And Marky was standing next to me, and um, she and I are just smitten with Salvador. So we're baby-talking him and talking to him, and he's just climbing up on the mesh and looking at me. And with zero warning, I got blasted in the face. (laughs) I'm not talking that I got pee on my face. It was as if someone was dumping water on my head. You know in the morning when you have to pee really bad, and it's usually a lot. It was his first morning pee, and it went all over me. I was drenched. But rather than going to get me a towel, or rather than me running for a towel, I stepped back, closed my eyes, and said, get out your phone. And Marky (laughs) proceeded to take a video and a picture of me covered in the most disgusting, potent Tamandua pee. Amazing. That is that is a heck of a story. And also, with everything else that you said, I'm still sticking with uh, tomandos and bass players are basically the same creature. So good, good to know. Um, last words. Anything that you want to say? Anything you're passionate about? Any conservation charities that you want to promote? Uh, do you just anything. It, the floor is yours. Oh, my goodness. The pressure. <laughs> you're just asking the person who loves to talk to just talk about anything. Um, no, I, I would like to just... Give a quick shout out to my team for um, carrying us through this COVID situation. It has been extremely um, trying on all of us. We had to cut out part-timers, volunteers, seasonals, everybody. Um, So 200 animals and there are six of us full-time interpretive keepers. So sometimes that is one to two people a day. And that's kind of been a lot. But 
I can confidently and proudly say that we have maintained our same level of care. We've given it our all. Um, and just shout out to keepers everywhere for giving it your all every day. Um, the animals the animals are better because we're in their lives, and I confidently believe that. So thank you, John, for having me on the show. It's been a blast, and hopefully we'll do another one sometime. Hopefully. Thank you so much. <laughs> Isn't Colleen an awesome advocate for her ambassador animals? I love the passion with which she speaks about them. You can check out Colleen on Instagram at ZookeeperColleen. And of course, check out at Cincinnati Zoo for all of the awesome pictures and videos being shared there. Well, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed making it. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan Burke and John Rossi. Listen and subscribe on any podcast app. Please take the time to leave a review as it helps other people find our podcast. You can find Rossafari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Rossafari, on the web at Rossafari.com, or email me directly at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.